This is Chad Roberts, and you're listening to Awakened Radio. Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Robertson. Today we are in part two of our current sermon out of Mark chapter two. This series is called Walking with Jesus. And as we walk through the pages of the gospel of Mark, oh, I believe that our lives are going to be transformed by the power of the word of God, by the spirit of God. I'm so happy that you're joining us and I hope that you'll join me through the entire series. Well, today we're in a small house in the city of Capernaum, and as Christ teaches, all of a sudden the roof begins to be removed. And friends, so many lessons that we're going to gain out of this series. If you missed part one, go back in the archives and listen. You can always download my free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, wherever you get your favorite apps. Well, let's go to God's Word today, Mark chapter 2, as these friends literally move heaven and earth to get their friends to the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 4 is where the story really turns. I don't know if they carried their friend a few streets I don't know if they carried him a few miles, but their hopes must have been incredibly dashed when they saw the crowd. Their hearts must have sank because the Bible says in verse 4 that they could not even get near Jesus. Can you imagine going to all the effort? Can you imagine going to all the trouble? Can you imagine showing up at your paralyzed friend's house and maybe he even thought about backing out? Maybe he said, guys, I don't know about this. I can tell you, as a man with a handicap, as a man with a disability, it is nerve-wracking to go out in public sometimes. And I can hear the man getting up that morning and going, I don't know. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of people there. It's already going to be hard to get to him. What if he won't touch me? What What if he does touch me and it doesn't work? I don't know. I think I would be more comfortable staying home. I know that feeling. And I imagine his friends go, nope, come on, you're going. Strap him in. Let's go. We're going to go see Jesus. And however long they must have carried him, each on each corner, and they're carrying their friend. And however long it took, I imagine they're talking about, can you imagine what it's going to be when Jesus touches him? Can you imagine? He's had compassion on so many. He's pitied so many. He's already touched so many. I know he's going to touch you. And imagine how their hearts sank when they got to the crowd and they couldn't even get near the door. Let's talk about this crowd for a minute. I don't like this crowd. Let me tell you why I don't like this crowd. Number one. Let me tell you why they were a selfish people. Number one, because, like I said, Jesus pronounced his judgment on the city. They saw the greatest miracles of God, and yet they wouldn't repent. Even at the end of our text in verse 12, the Bible says that they were amazed, but it never says that they repented. 
Miracles are not meant to amaze you. They're meant to lead us to repentance. Let me tell you another reason I don't like this crowd. Let me ask you a question. If you and I were on the back rows of this crowd, and you and I were toward the back, and we were tiptoeing, and we were, we were straining just to hear Jesus, just to get a glimpse of him. And let me ask you a question. If four men brought a paralyzed man on a stretcher, what would you and I do? I would get out of the way. I would say, please, 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 get him to Jesus. See what the master will do. Take him, please, part. Excuse me, excuse me, make way. Is that not what you would have done? But you know what this selfish crowd do? They never move. They never got out of the way. This man could not even get near the master because of these people's selfishness. And may I propose that there are some listening today? May I propose that there are some of us that, yes, we are Christian in name. We are Christian in the sense we're interested in Jesus. But we're mightily selfish. Do you know what this crowd became this day? They became a hindrance. They became a roadblock. They became an obstacle to this man getting to Christ. And do you know what Christians who are Christian in name only, do you know what Christians who don't live right, they don't live authentic, they don't live genuine, they are fake and they are phony. Do you know what those Christians are? You're an obstacle. You're in the way of people legitimately coming to Christ. You live a lifestyle that someone says, if he's a Christian, if she's a Christian, then I'll be just right the way I am. You're an obstacle to people coming to Christ. Do you know who these people were? They were curious about Christ. They were interested in Christ. But all they wanted to do is hang out and hang around the things of God. But they were not going to repent. And they were not going to follow Christ. And there's many of you listening. You're in the same boat. Yeah, you're interested. Yeah. You like the music. You like the sermons. You like the idea of praying. You like the idea of going to heaven. You like the idea of being called a Christian. But you're not the real thing. And your life doesn't proclaim Christ. You know what you are, my friend? You're an obstacle to others coming to Christ. Are you just part of the crowd? Are you sitting in the seats today and you're just a crowd? That's it? I would challenge you, my friends. Get serious about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not serious about religion. Serious about Jesus. Serious about following Christ. Giving him your life. And saying, Lord, I am yours wholeheartedly. Don't just be part of the crowd. So, verse 4. <laughs> so all these people's in the way. And I'm just stunned that they don't part the crowd and people don't get out of the way and say, please, please, please take my spot. Here, here, get him to Jesus. I'm just amazed. So these men have to get creative. And you know what they do? 
I picture they huddle up over their, I picture they set him down on the ground and they huddle up over him. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't say this. I'm, I'm making this up. I'm just letting my imagination of the text. But I, I, I picture one or two of them must have been a roofer by trade. I just believe that. <laughs> I can't wait to meet them one day in heaven. And I'm, I'm going to ask all four of them, were any of you a roofer? You know why? Because one of them says, I have an idea. We'll tear the roof off. And I imagine their other buddy go, and we're going to get arrested. And I imagine him going, it's all right, I'm a roofer, I'll fix it. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. But let me tell you how homes were constructed in this day. Scholars tell us a home would have been one level with a staircase outside going to the roof. And see, in this Palestinian area of Judea, they would have enjoyed cool mornings and cool evenings up on their roof. This was very common. And the way the house would have been constructed, we believe this was Peter's house, there would have been a great room right in the middle of the structure, which today we would call that a, a living room or a family room, a sitting room. It would have been a place to entertain and to host guests. And Jesus was probably sitting, probably in Peter's chair, <laughs> in his great room. And these men would have headed up the staircase on the outside and they would have went up to the roof. And let me tell you how a roof was made in these days. In these days, they would have taken thick wooden beams and they would have laid them across the structure. But on top of the wooden beams, they would have put a layer of thatch. And on top of the layer of thatch, they would have caked in thick mud. And the mud would have dried and hardened. Then they would do another thick layer of thatch. And then on top of that layer of thatch, they would have put tiles. And that would have been the roof in Jesus' day. What these four men would have done is they would have taken their friend on the stretcher up the outward staircase onto the roof. And they would have began to remove the tiles. Now think how long a stretcher bed would have been. I would say at least six or seven feet that they would have had to remove of this roof. And they start tearing the tile out. And see, it's interesting. In another gospel, it tells us they dug through the roof. Now, why would you suppose that is? Remember, we said of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We said this last week. Three are synoptic. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What does synoptic mean? Syn, as in S-Y-N, where we get our word synonym, meaning the same. Optic, as in optical. View, perspective, vision. In other words, it's taking the same content, the same as in synonym, it shows us the same content. But yet there are different details that if you read it carefully, you'll gain an enormous appreciation. It is not any contradiction. It's just more detail to the story. So in one of the Gospels, it tells us that they dug through the roof. Well, why does it say they dug? Because it would have been wooden beam, thatch, mud, thatch, ceiling tile. And can you imagine Peter sitting beside Jesus and all of a sudden mud and dirt and thatch start falling on your heads? I bet Peter thought, who is ruining my roof? And these men dug through the roof. Let me tell you, my friends, they, 
they would stop short of nothing to get their friends to Christ. Let me ask you a question today. Do you see yourself in this story? Are you the crowd that's an obstacle to someone coming to Jesus? Is your lifestyle an obstacle to people trusting in Christ and following Christ? Or are you like these four men? You're so passionate about seeing people come to the Lord Jesus that you'll do anything to bring people to Christ. Let me tell you why God has his hand on our church. Let me tell you why God, as we look back over 2021 and we measure what that year was like, and as we cast our eyes to the wonderful year of 2022, let me tell you why God's hand is all over our church. Because let me tell you our mission. Let me tell you our vision clearly. We will tear off any roof to get people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is everything that we are about. We are about carrying the lame and carrying the crippled and bringing them to repentance of Jesus. It is everything to us. Ask us what our bottom line is. And you know what we'll tell you every time? The souls of men and women. That's our bottom line. And we'll stop at nothing. We'll spend any amount of money it takes. We'll move heaven and earth. We'll do everything humanly possible to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is primary. I don't know about you, but I want to be cut from the same cloth of these four men that brought a crippled man to Jesus. This is who I want to be. Thursday, we reached out to the seed company. I'm getting ready to write an article on maybe a term that many of you have never heard before. We reached out to the seed company who are Bible translators. They're a division of Wycliffe Bible translators. We give an enormous amount of money for Bible translation work. And you know what we are called? As a church, let me tell you, we don't have stock. Well, church wouldn't have stock, but we especially don't have. We don't have money market accounts. We don't have mutual funds or IRAs or any, any kind of, we don't have those things. Let me tell you who we are. We are Bible investors. Some of you are investors, but let me ask you, have you ever been a Bible investor? What's a Bible investor? It's people who believe so deeply in the transformation, redemption work of Christ, that we will stop at nothing to translate the scriptures for people, groups who have no Bible in their language. This week, we contacted the seed company, and, or, or last week, rather. This week, we're going to cut a check, and we are going to translate all 105 verses of the book of 1 John to a people group who doesn't have it. And what is it going to be for a people group who have never read the Bible in their native language, in their mother tongue? And what is it going to be when for the first time they read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, we will tear off any roof to get people to Jesus. Ever heard of the man named Voltaire? I can't see you. I don't know. Okay. Yes, some of you have. Okay. 
<laughs> Voltaire was an English, uh, a, 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 I'm sorry, a French enlightener. Some of you may have studied him. Let me tell you about Voltaire. He was a wicked and a godless man. He was a wicked man. Look up the way Voltaire died. It is said he had a very painful death, and as he died, it is recorded that he died screaming as he felt the flames of hell lapping about his feet. That godless man, that wicked man, do you know what he is famously quoted as? As he mocked God Almighty, as he mocked believers of his day, and as he made an utter mockery of the word of God. Do you know what he is famously said to have quoted as saying? He said, 100 years from my day, there will not be one Bible left on planet earth. What a foolish man. Do you know what happened when that godless man died? (laughs) Christian businessmen. What would today be modern day Gideons? Christian businessmen gathered together, pulled their resources, purchased his estate, and his home became the largest Bible printing distribution hub for Bibles in all of Europe. Amen? And let me tell you, this church is cut from that exact same cloth. We are committed to translating Bibles, printing Bibles, distributing Bibles all over the earth. We have distributed, I don't even know the count, I don't even know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands copies of the Word of God. Why? Because you know what Jesus said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will abide forever. Friends, we are Bible investors. We invest in eternity. These men tore the roof off. They stopped at nothing to get their friend to Jesus. Now, look with me at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, now stop right there. Mark is so specific. I want to show you. He doesn't say, Mark did not record. And when Jesus saw the faith of the paralytic, it doesn't say that, does it? Do you know why I believe it doesn't say that? This is just my personal belief. I don't want to read too much into the text. But see, I think these friends had more faith than he had. I think these friends pushed him to go. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I know what it's like to hate to go out to a restaurant. I know what it's like to spill things in public. I know what it's like to bump my way around or to miss a curb or to walk into a half open door. I know what these things are. And I think when they said, we're going to strap you to this thing and we're going to lower you down from the roof. I thought, I bet he thought you guys are crazy. No, no. No! And when they lowered him down, 
I want you to note, the Bible says when Jesus saw, whose faith? Their faith. How many of you right now got people on that cross? How many of you right now, you have prodigals nailed to that cross, and right now, they don't have faith. Right now, they're resisting Jesus. Right now, they won't come to Christ. But let me tell you, my friend, God sees your faith. He sees your faith. And don't get me wrong, they have to have faith. But let me tell you, hallelujah, their faith is coming in the name of Jesus. But right now, you are caring to Jesus. You are bringing them to the Lord. You're pushing them along. You're saying, I know God is going to change your life. Hallelujah. And it might be that God is seeing your faith in them today. Amen. So don't grow discouraged. Don't, you say, Chad, another year has come and gone and they're still not come to faith. Don't get discouraged. You keep shouldering it. You keep carrying them. You keep bringing them along because eventually the master is going to touch them. Amen. Amen. Now, verse number six, we've seen the crowd and how selfish they are. We've seen the four men and how determined they are. We've seen the paralytic and, in my view, how embarrassed he was. But Jesus, verse 5, sees this faith, their faith. And he says to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the story is going to change gears right here. And, and follow along with me. Verse number 6. Now, some scribes were sitting there and questioning Jesus. Questioning him. You know, people aren't any different today. You know, I realize that as I preach the truths of God's word, people don't just sit there and because, you know, it's scripture. People don't sit there and go, oh, yes, yes, that's it. No, people don't, people internalize things and they go, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I agree with that. You know, people are no different today than they were 2,000 years ago. Many of you listening today, you're questioning. You're questioning. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I believe that. But let me show you what Jesus did. Look at verse 6, verse 7. In verse 7, here's what they're saying in their hearts. They say, why this man says he can forgive sins. That's blasphemy. <coughs> no one can forgive sins but God. It's hard for us to pick up in our English language. But in the original manuscripts, in the Greek language, when Mark writes, this man... It's very derogatory. This is a derogatory construction in the Greek language. You can sort of hear it in our English. I mean, you can picture him going, well, how can this man say this? But in the Greek, it's very emphatic. In the Greek, it stands out, and it's extremely derogatory. But if you're going to take notes today, what I would do if I were you in your Bible, I would circle the two words, this man... And I would draw an arrow down to verse number 10, and I would circle the title, Son of Man, because those two are going to link. And I'll link them in just a second. But pay attention to the link there. So verse 6, they're going to question in their heart. Verse 7, the questioning becomes derogatory. Well, who does he think he is? He's but a man. And then verse 8, notice it says, and immediately. Now, there's our key word for Mark, remember? 
The word immediately or straightforward in the Greek, it's ethos, E-U-T-H-O-S. Remember what we said last week? Ethos, immediately, straightforward. It is used 41 times in the book of Mark alone. It's used seven in the book of Matthew, once in the book of Luke, and 41 times in the book of Mark. It's only used 40 sometimes in the rest of the entire scripture, New Testament. But yet 41 times just in the book of Mark. Why? Because it speaks to the fast pace, to the action. It reads like an action script. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, he knew their thoughts. He knew what they were saying in their heart. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts' podcast. And listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.